Welcome to the Recon Podcast. In today's episode, we're going to talk about how two distinctly different worlds come together. We're going to talk about where fetish meets queer. I think we all have a good grasp of just what fetish is, but the burning question is, what exactly is queer? And how might being queer influence your fetish or kink life? Do these two worlds collide? Do they merge? Or do they merely coexist? Please enjoy the episode. First of all, I think it's important for us to discern just what is queer, and I'm sure it's going to cover most of today's talk, uh, and there'll be some controversy around it. We often can't escape that on the Recon podcast, but it's a good thing. I certainly have, or had my vague generalization of what queer means or looks like in today's LGBTQ plus community. When people say I identify as queer, but I also have a much deeper understanding of what I think many are trying to identify or question within themselves. But here I digress. Before I introduce my guest, I think it would be doing this topic a disservice if I didn't start at the beginning. We will definitely get back to where fetish meets queer, but let's first start with queer. So doing a bit of research, I dug into an article from the Columbia Journal Review, and this is what I found out. The word queer first showed up in English about 1513 and has always meant something not normal, something peculiar, something odd. It could also mean being or feeling unwell or not feeling oneself. Webster's New College Dictionary lists queer as a slang term meaning homosexual. In general usage, still chiefly a slang term of contempt or derision, but lately used by some academics and homosexual activists as a descriptive term without negative connotations. The Dictionary of American Slang says in the early 1990s, queer was adopted as a non-pejorative designation by some homosexuals in the spirit of gay pride. The Oxford English Dictionary says that transformation began in the late 1980s. So here we see the beginning of the reclaiming of the word queer by the gay community to mean some kind of strength and openly identifying as gay, um, being proud to be gay, being open. Um, in even more recent times, queer does not have a simple meaning, except perhaps not heterosexual. Some people who identify as neither male nor female call themselves genderqueer, while others who identify the same way might call themselves gender fluid or non-binary. Um, it's even said that the Q in LGBTQ could stand for either queer or questioning. And I know that's one that's still very hotly debated. I'm sure my guest is going to have something to say about that. I can see him on camera, but you can't see him. Um, actually, I'll get to that in a minute as well. I know, I'm, I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. So I know that you can't speak for everyone when people say they are queer, when you think about what they think they might mean. I think it's better to ask individual people what it means for them. Um, and I'm guessing, you know, things might be about how liberating they might find it. You know, if I talk about it in a sense, I will say in our naivety, 
in our lazy way to generalize, and yes, I said lazy, and we are very often lazy, and simply assume that someone who says they identify as queer should have the appearance of being slightly more effeminate. They might dress a bit flamboyantly or in a manner we might describe as queer, which seems to be a very popular thing nowadays. And most often, uh, it's just... A given visually, you know, you would see with painted fingernails or people who just say that they're sexually fluid. So I think there are all sorts of visual representations. Um, am I wrong? I think not. Um, but are we wrong to easily assume this? Um, this is what most people think because it's what we see portrayed in the media. So it's an easy cop out for us to assume that this is just what it means when we think about the visual representation of what is queer. Um, but how often do we actually take the time to talk to someone about this deeper understanding of just what it means to them? I met my guest at a dinner party uh, a few weeks ago and would never have assumed they'd identify as queer merely based on their appearance. Now, here is where my own lazy naivety comes in because I just, of course, went with the visual. So on first appearance, I realized, okay, he's a big strapped Northern Irish ginger bloke. This is what he looks like to me, um, who very quickly quickly corrected me and told me something along the lines of, I'm not a him, I identify as they or them, and I'm kinky. I was very quick to give my attempt at a very sincerely felt apology, and thus began a very deep and intense conversation about what queer means to them and how it connects to their fetish. And this was how I came up with the title, Where Fetish Meets Queer. Um, so let me introduce you to them. Please welcome Neil to the podcast. I've rambled on quite a lot. So Neil, I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about what you do. And I think we are definitely going to dig into the queer a bit. But let's talk a little bit about your fetish life. Just very like boop, pinpoint it just a little bit for us. And then I can ask you some other questions. So please welcome Neil to our podcast. Hi, um, thank you for having me. Um, so, yes, my name's Neil. Um, I use they, them pronouns. Um, I'm originally from Northern Ireland, um, but have been living in London uh, for longer than I can remember now, um, where I practice as a lawyer and worked in the charity sector. And I've also had the, um, the ability to study a master's uh, in queer history at Goldsmiths University. So I know a little bit about queer in that respect. Um, I'm also a um, listening volunteer and uh, trustee at Switchboard, the LGT helpline. So I see a lot of young people coming through who are, and people of all ages, if I'm being completely honest, um, experiencing queer and, and their gender identity in different ways. Going back to what you were saying there about my fetish, my fetish life um, really started in Belfast. Um, where, <laughs> where boyfriend accidentally pissed on me, and I went, "Oh, that was nice." <laughs> Wait a minute, accidentally? <laughs> he was accidentally drunk. on purpose, you mean? Yeah, he was drunk, <laughs> and um, I was like, "You sit in the toilet, I'll go and have a shower." And then I was like, "Why? What? The, that's the wrong time." Oh, hello, that's nice. Um, so that's how I kind of discovered that I was maybe a bit kinkier. Um, started then going down to Gear, uh, Ireland, I think it's now Leatherman Ireland in Dublin and, uh, meeting the 
everybody down there and getting involved. And then also going over to Antwerp for uh, Fetish Pride. And that's kind of took off from there, really. Can I ask you, what was it like being... Um... I'm guessing we don't very often hear very much about fetish, uh, the fetish scene in Northern Ireland. What was it like coming out as kinky there? I don't think I ever did, to be perfectly honest with you, um, because there isn't a scene. It's, you know, it is kind of um, somebody, you know, it's, you know people who know people who do that type of thing, um, or you go down to Dublin, um, or you go over to, to Hard On, but not really... That could change. Um, we do have, I know there's a night in um, one of the bars called Boo, uh, Boo Boo, Be You, Be Yourself, and it's a bear-themed night. But other than that, it's you wouldn't see a harness on the dance floor, let's put it like that. Okay. So you travelled mostly to explore your kink and your fetish life, apart yeah. from your initial association with the Leatherman there. Yeah. And so let me ask you another question. When did you first come to identify as queer? Did something happen? Was there like a, a light bulb moment or was this something you gradually <laughs> came into understanding or thinking about yourself? Um, I think it's just been a gradual realization. So like um, I came out in, on the 23rd of March, oh, June, 23rd of June, 1999. Mm -hmm. um, um, I was 14. And I came out as bisexual. And um, I think a lot of people would have done that at, the st at the st that time to say, say I'm bisexual because it's easier than saying gay. Um, looking back on it, I was probably right. Um, that I probably was more fluid in my sexuality at that time. Um it's just been that kind of realization of developing a language, developing an understanding of what queer meant to me that allowed me then to start making little changes. And the first changes that I made were my pronouns, um, where I was using he, they, um, which kind of eased me in, to in the water. And, um, and yeah, and then I, I, I think it was the start of this year. Start of last year, sorry. That's, that's a new year for you. So then twenty. 21 i started using they them um exclusively and read a book called uh understanding your gender by meg joan barker uh, which is a really really good book about even if you're you identify as cisgendered it's still really good about studying yeah. gender and gender identity um and that's yeah i have to say my usage of pronouns is shit as is probably most <laughs> gay people whether they're a kink or fetishy and i don't know for me it's it's i think i won't try to make an excuse for it it's it's then again you know this laziness that we all are very prone to have but i come from an era where when you were out around bars and clubs, this was, I think this was after most people who identified as gay, lesbian, bisexual, or transgender had done away with the word queer before a reclaiming of it. Most times out at the bars, people referred to themselves or you referred to each other as she or her. And that was also mm. like the way that you recognize it was a more common pronoun used to describe people or to talk to people. But I don't yeah. think even from then at the time, pronouns was something we thought to use so 
um, formally. It was very informal. So I for was, me, I, I always struggle when people... I know, but I struggle sometimes when people say, what are your pronouns? Because I grew up in an era where I always responded when I was out of people called me she or her, you know, I would also, and I, and, and it doesn't disturb me if they called me she or her, he or him. And I know that that's just personal to me. Um, but I also wonder why this, this ease that we have and also this variance in, in cultures makes people a little bit more lazy um, rather than also thinking about the changing culture within the gay or the, you know, the queer community to really pay even much more attention than we have previously to the pronouns people use to identify themselves. Yeah. Look, we learn everybody's individual name. Yeah. But yeah. we struggle with three pronouns. Yeah. Three primary pronouns, I should say. Not, that's not even bringing in the neo pronouns. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but going back to what you were saying there, the, the language which we used in those, you know, in the 50s, Polari had she, her as the primary pronoun. Yeah. And, um, a lot of that was, you know, because of the language and how it was spoken, but it also allowed us as a community, particularly gay men, to mask and to say, you know, her at work rather than uh, him, because yeah. if they were to say him, then they would be outed. And that's something that has disappeared. We can now go into the workplace and say, this is my partner, he. Yeah. Um, so I think there has been a change attitudes towards pronouns absolutely but and i think it's a good one of, yeah but i think the understanding of how that impacts people can be a little lost because um i remember the first time uh, in work uh, i had a review and um my land manager used they them pronouns throughout the report and it was this little moment of gender euphoria where I was just like, oh, my God, she paid attention. Because literally the week before, somebody had turned around to me and said, oh, that's Neil. He's a they, them. And I'm like, okay, where do I even begin with that? You know, he is a they, them. You know, we're, we're not this sort of little sect or something like that. You know, we are, um, we're, you know, it, a, they, them, it, it makes it individual um, and something to be pointed out on a shelf. Rather it than, makes it almost sound something inanimate rather than human. Yeah. Than something alive. I, I get it. I get it. So let me ask you another question. For you, does being queer, do you think being queer relates more to A, your physical sexuality, which means like your sexual choices? Your outward mannerisms, your behavior, your way of dressing, maybe. You know, I can't speak for everyone, but when people say they are queer, what do you think they mean? What do I think they mean? I'd ask them. It's that simple because queer means so many different things to so many different people. So um, you give the definitions of the dictionary at the, at the top. Um, I dare say that if I was to give my definition of queer, they would be completely different. You know, my definition of queer is that it is defined not by what it includes, but by what it excludes. So 
you said perhaps heterosexual people be, uh, heterosexuality would be excluded from queer. I would say no, it's going to be included because say if one of uh, the partners was transgender, does that exclude them from the queer experience? No, and I absolutely agree on this. You know, we see it now. Well, I, I think it's, I agree for the most part. It's still debated though. We see so much more popular now in mainstream media with, you know, pop stars and artists and actors and other uh, high profile people who come out as being queer. And that would always be my question is, you know, do we think that they're necessarily jumping on the bandwagon or does their definition of queer suddenly or only come from the point that maybe they're trying to just find a way to say, A, I'm maybe a bit bisexual or somebody else might be using it to mean, well, I have queer sex. I'm a little bit kinky or somebody may using it to mean, well, I'm slightly more flamboyant in my style and my dress. So I think it could mean different things to different people. And I think you're right. Unless we take the opportunity to ask them, we really don't know. But I still think we can't get away from the jumping on the bandwagon bit. Yeah, I can see you're coming from, but there was actually a really big debate about we, we talked about the Q in the alphabet soup, yeah, um, of LGBTQQIAA and all of this R two S. Don't ask me to name them all, um, but they they were also talking about should K be added to it. Um, we're not talking about that sort of K. We're talking about um, kink, yeah. and it was. I think the, the, the reason behind not adding kink to the alphabet soup is because it transcends. It's not just one part or one letter. It can transcend through all of them. And that's why I think, you know, the relationship between queer and kink is going to be really, is a really interesting one because you have essentially two things that transcend. I had a really good chat um with someone else on this topic of heterosexuals uh using the word queer and one question that came up was uh the question to me was you know do you think it's it could be deemed as a kind of cultural appropriation you know is queer I know this is again people questioning and this is again people having the debate yeah. but it was a question that would ask that was asked to me and it did make me think about it quite a bit. But that, I think, builds on things like bi erasure. So if you have, um, you know, a guy who's walking hand in hand with a woman, you automatically assume that they're in a relationship and that they are straight, whereas they could be both bisexual. Do you think that being queer means to break down all sexual behavioral boundaries? Or is it exclusionary to expect that everyone who's queer to be non-gender conforming? I would say you, you can be gender conforming and still be queer. Um, you, in fact, Maggie, Maggie Smith, no, that's the Downton Abbey one. Uh, yes. I can't, my, the I can't remember. Yeah, Maggie Dylan something Hall? or other. No, she, she writes books. Um, uh, she wrote a book about, uh, called The Argonauts, and it, details about her relationship with the word queer because she presents as a cisgendered heterosexual woman and then gets married to a trans man and has a baby. 
And it's just how that relationship with what queer means in her heterosexual world. And it basically, it's like, it, it blows her mind apart. <laughs> Maggie Nelson, that's her surname. Okay. Um, somebody else in another conversation, I'm just putting this all by you because I think what we want to do by the end of this chat is to not just merely have a discussion between ourselves, but you know, the, the aim is hopefully that people will also learn something. And for me, it's also, it's my re-education. Um, and I think it's important and I hope other people take it as the same. Um, I had a very lengthy talk, uh, with a very good friend. And he said to him that, that that being queer, that they found it liberating of the LGBTQ identity. Yeah. Uh, do you think that this might be the case for many more people who identify as queer? Yeah. Yes. Um, I, I, I find it liberating myself because um, when I look at the history of the lgtq movement it it really was the history of lesbians and gays let's be honest um because they were the the ones with the privilege to use that horrible p word um but they were the ones who had the money the ability the um and that could do that whereas some of the more marginalized identities um it's not that they were left behind the you know they were sort of saying we'll get to you <laughs> put in a holding pattern let's say yeah. and then um we get to we get to same-sex marriage in england and that is the antithesis in my view of assimilation into a heteronormative lifestyle you are literally saying i am equal to you because i can do this yeah but we're not equal we're different you know this is like I don't know. I just, it, so it's being I, queer, a celebration of this difference. It, Would you say? Yes. Oh, God, yeah. It's celebrating not just your difference, but your um, your ability to understand how you then operate in the world using that difference. And we, we also see this through activism as well, because when you look at the HIV epidemic, it was queer activists through ACT UP who started turning around and said, actually, we're going to change things here. We're not going to do it the old way. We're going to do it a different way. Do you think that there was, or why has the turning point in how we would have previously, let's say, identified gay organizations or charities, where previously we would just say they were a gay organization, they were a gay charity. <laughs> but now it's almost taboo to say that we now have to say or we're supposed to say we're being told we should say that they're a queer organization or that they're a queer charity why do you think that is who's saying that it's <laughs> it's in the air show me your evidence it's in um, the air <laughs> no i think there's there's certainly culture wars happening at the minute we see that very evidently in what's happening at the bbc um around trans rights but going back to what you were saying about the bandwagon, we do see people using queer as a way of sexing things up, if that's fair to say, of making mm -hmm. it, um, maybe using it in a way that makes it sound like it's more than it actually is, yeah. which may not be the case. You know, uh, there so are. This could also be for political purposes. Yeah. Why not? 
I spoke to someone uh, who said just in another conversation and they said, my politics is queer. My opinions, my in, in, in as much as my accepting love in all its various shapes and forms. Um, and they thought that they might be slightly more leftist and that there's so much of the queer community, which is so completely socialist. And I don't think I've ever thought about it in these terms myself. Because um, you've never met a, a queer Tory. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, I'm looking at your face. Well, I'm not quite sure how I'd feel about that, but um... <laughs> but interesting. Growing up in Northern Ireland, Northern Ireland is a very socially conservative place. Um, you know, for God's sake, we had the DUP turning around and saying "See a Ulster from sodomy" um, and locking up the, the play parks. Um, but the thing with Growing up in a social, a, a very uh, socially conservative country is when you come to another country where it's not that way, you see the uh, brilliant leaps that you can have. So, like my politics since I've come to London has become more and more left wing. So every time I go back to Northern Ireland, they're like, "Would you seriously stop talking about this smashing the patriarchy shit? We don't need it." And I know you do. You really do. <laughs> do you think that the queer if I can say the queer movement, I'm doing my air quotes here, the queer movement can be a little preachy at times? Yes. I think we get that within all sectors of the uh, the alphabet soup. Um, it's the thing that I would call queer gatekeeping. Yep. Um, Absolutely. Good Lord, there's a lot of that. <laughs> you know, it's... it's it's like going to the door of a club and just be like, oh, sorry, you're not queer enough to get in. And it's like, well, how do you know? You don't know me. Um, whereas, like, it's quite clear. If you go to a recon event, you've got your your guidelines of what you can and can't wear. And that's straightforward. But when you send somebody explain your identity to me before you get into this club, that's problematic. And I don't know, I do I do feel frustrated when people turn around and say you're not queer enough because you don't have, you know, five, six, seven, eight intersectionality or intersectional identities. They're just saying we see you as a white gay man. This brings me most beautifully to my next point. Talking about the doorman, you know, we probably all understand that venues, bars and clubs often have these visual stereotypes. Mm. And one of the things that I get asked as an event organizer quite often, and I've also, it has come up in other panel discussions and other things I've done with, or with other organizations, is about whether or not we provide a queer safe space. And we're going to take a little break in a little bit. But before that break, I want you to answer for me. What is a queer safe space? No problem. I'm going to throw it back at you again. Um, sorry, this is a typical switchboard technique. But I'm going to throw it back at you and say, what does Recon's members want? Because ultimately, it's the queer members of Recon um, of which I have one, so I can actually feed into this. But they are the ones who can turn around and tell you what they want. And for me personally, it would be a space where I could go and not have to not have to put on a pretense 
So for me, um, you know, she's described, I present as very masculine. I have a beard. I have, you know, the typical um, shaved head and and, and burly, uh, stocky build. But that doesn't mean to say I'm male. That's my gender uh, expression, and that's not necessarily my gender identity. So having a queer safe space would allow the ability to recognise that difference. I think sometimes in terms of when we're dealing with our members, thank you for answering the question, by the way. And I think when we're often thinking about what our members want, very often it's between a rock and a hard place. Mm. Because sometimes they don't know what they want until we give it to them. And sometimes they'll flat out tell us, no, we want this, that, or that. And More loot, basically. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a whole other conversation. More loot, less condoms. That's a whole other podcast. Actually, good one. We should write that down. Um, but I will get to part two of that question when we are back from this little break. something tight and shiny for a special event want ideas for your next session at regulation we're stocking thousands of products including leather rubber toys electro restraints and playroom furniture now shipping worldwide or get free uk shipping when you spend over 25 pounds visit our london store or shop online at regulation.co.uk Regulation Kink Delivered. And so we are back. So I didn't want to get away from the last uh, topic we were on, which was my question to Neil about what his definition of a queer safe space was. And he threw it back at me. Um, as an events organizer, I think it's always very tricky. One of the things I learned the very hard way is that we will never, ever please everyone. And we never do. But it was something that I, for some reason, took to heart. I find it very difficult that I couldn't please everyone. I'm a natural pleaser. I want to. But I also understand that sometimes I fuck shit up and I get shit wrong. And then we have to take the feedback for the good and the bad, the constructive, and and then we have to learn from it and then move on and try to think about doing better the next time. I'm uh, on a panel that's dealing with people in the King community that organize events and other things. And something that has come up quite often is about the kind of spaces that event organizers provide for people. And whether or not we would provide a safe space a queer safe space is something that has come up quite a lot. And I would probably say, not necessarily in my laziness, but that I have not had to think about it very often. Because if I look around at the people who come to our events, I see queer everywhere. And that's probably going to be hotly debated, because I would probably say if we think about queer in its easy definition of the word, something that is different, something that is unusual, something that is out of the ordinary, that is what fetish is. So I would say that fetish in itself, the way that people dress when they're out, it can very easily be described as queer. 
because it's out of the ordinary, it's not different. It's not the every, you know, sorry, it is different. It's not the everyday. But what I've also noticed, and I think probably in more recent years, not just at our events, but other events where we travel to around the world, is I see people pushing the boundaries in how they change or adapt their gear and their style. We start seeing heels and leggings and more nail varnish and more quirky colors in their you know, in their gear and their outfits and their hairstyles. And if we go back to this idea that being queer is a true expression of your identity, I would probably say we have a lot of practicing queers that come at our event because these people are in every sense of the word expressing their fetish identities. And I think this is definitely one point where queer meets fetish very easily. We know that in some cases, it doesn't always match so harmoniously. Um, we know from a very famous venue that decided to ban someone because they turned up in heels. Uh, this was a space for men who act like men. Da, 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 da. And I would hate to think that people would think that this is what a recon space should be like. If they think that's what we should be like, I'm sorry to have to disappoint you, but that's not what we are. And that's not what we are going to pretend to be. It's not what we are going to be. We are going to remain the space where this kind of queer evolution keeps happening in terms of people's freedom to express their fetish selves. And if we can create this space where we have this harmonious coming together of the fetish lifestyle and the queer lifestyle of individuals who come to our events, then I think this is something we should definitely celebrate. Um, Neil, where do you think your queer meets your fetish? Like for a long time, I I struggled with the concept of being male, of being a man, and that you know I go all the way back to primary school if you really want me to. But yes, go there, go there, go there. More recent, well, I mean, it's in primary seven, and uh, but I was told don't act the big girl's blouse. And that's when gender first hit me and the constructs around what gender is and how I should behave. Because up until that point, I just got on with things and just did it what I felt was right. And then going to certain events, um, particularly around like, you know, the, the leather pride and all of this here, I was like, you see hyper-masculinities almost, all these different types of masculine identities. And I remember walking into Darklands one year and seeing a woman in PVC and going, hello, things just got interesting. And when I then started to look a bit, look a bit closer in the dark, not necessarily a good thing all the time. But when you look a bit closer, <laughs> you you start to see these not differences, but you start to see these individualities, these personalities come out that are not the stereotypical views that we have of fetish. And that's when I started to get really excited because then I was like, hey, I can do this. I can mix up things because you know my 
my mentors were the old school ones of you wear your leather, you wear your rubber, you don't mix it too. Um, and I was like, hey, guess what? I'm wearing all three. I wear like leather and rubber. <laughs> and they're like, um, we, we, we don't know what to do with you. Just go. <laughs> um, and I think that's, that's the thing. Like, it's, you're kind of taking, you're not taking the rule book and throwing it away. You're taking the real book and go and let's mash it up and see what we can do. Um, how can we how can we evolve this to make it fresh? How can we and make it relevant to us? And I think that's one of the things that I'm certainly going through at the minute with my own fetish identity um, as I start to uh, re-explore what my fetishes are now that I'm more comfortable with my own gender identity. Um, talking about your fetish, I don't want to get completely off topic, but you have a very interesting recon profile name. Can you tell us about your <laughs> fetish profile name? Oh my god! So this um, this goes back to my this goes back to when I was fourteen, um, and my friend Derek and I decided to use baked goods as euphemisms for certain um, sexual behaviors or sexual I don't know it was a boring it was a boring <laughs> job class. and, um, and uh, Derek and I decided that lemon meringue pie was common piss fantastic so that is the story of lemon meringue pie um, <laughs> you'll probably never eat it the same way again now. but um, yeah I, hey, there are lots of people who like common piss I know there are a load of people who absolutely love this and I'm sure Laugh they'll up. be looking at lemon meringue <laughs> pie with glossy eyes <laughs> uh, <laughs> but funny enough Derek and I um, we, we went to a party together and that was the first time I experienced it with a friend who wasn't fetishy, but wanted to sort of go to those worlds. And for somebody who was, who is bisexual, um, but in a heterosexual presenting relationship, I got to see this whole new world sort of open up before his eyes. And I'm like, well, I've never quite seen it like this. And I think that's, that's what queer does in the fetish world. It, it kind of gives you a new way of looking at things. In you know, it's I'm going back to the point where you made about you know fetish spaces being uh, overly hyper masculine spaces, and I would agree mm. that this is very often the case. So I can understand that things like the strict dress code this could very often create a sense of exclusivity and make spaces feel like they're non-queer friendly or like they're non-inclusive um you know we've received emails from people before you know asking oh i would love to wear this is it acceptable if i wear it and i think it's been great because we've always been yes <clears throat> it has always been a resounding yes do do you do yeah. whatever your fetish you is and i think that's the the big thing here is like when does a safe space yeah. not become a safe space? Yeah. Um, when you're looking at these hyper-masculinities, um, I keep saying hyper, but just let's just stick with masculinities. Um, for some people, that brings gender euphoria. I yeah. get to be this macho man, or I get to you know put on my leathers and pretend or live the role play of or the fantasy of being a biker. Um, for others, those are problematic. 
Um, and one of these, well, I think the best example is when you, when I was talking about pronouns, there has been a debate about whether or not, um, sir should be included as a pronoun. So what do you feel? Hmm. I think it's a little bit tricky because I mean, we know it to be a, a prefix rather than, you know, this, the service is very often um, followed by the name or title that they have given themselves. Whereas pronouns don't genuinely do this. You know, you don't say, oh, this is they Neil. This is, <laughs> this is them Neil. You know, it would be very different unless you're just saying this is sir. But I think that more or less, I don't know. I think it might be a good question to ask a sir whether or not he thinks <laughs> that this is how, because there are within the fetish community, there are also some very strict protocols about how to address people. And it's something I try to be aware of when I can, because I also want to address people. So for them, it's just as important as the pronoun is for you. And this is something that they use to identify. And I don't think we should necessarily take that away from them either. If he wants to be identified as sir, that's fine. But there are protocols that come around this where <laughs> I will probably get emails of people trying to correct me because I may get it wrong, you know, whereas I know, sir, Cambridge Wells. I know, well, I mean, there are some sirs who are very much in protocol that this is how I'm identified by my boy or my slave or other people within my community who know me to be this and they would show me the respect the respect of addressing me as this but if you approach someone and you don't know them you just go by what you see you might go hey fred whereas everybody else may call him sir fred you know yeah, um, and, you, and it's very easy it's very easy to make that mistake and it's up to him to then say oh i'd like to be addressed as Sir Fred, and for you to say, okay, yes, Sir Fred, are you to say, sorry? You know, and I, I think this, the, the two things are very, very close because they're identifiers. And there are many people, uh, they kind of are. There are many people, they, you see, when we talk Identifiers, about, yes, but in different ways. Yes, it's very different ways. And I think that, you know, let's say, Maybe I'm generalizing and you may, you will have to correct me, you know, please. Hey, don't. But this, is what, this is the game where we're all generalizing me. Thing. Correct me, correct me, you know, educate me. I, I would assume in my, let's say in my lazy naivety that the pronouns that you use, these are your everyday pronouns, they, them, because this is your everyday you. This is who you are every day. The pronoun let's say that the fetish master might use or the sir might use is it his everyday pronoun maybe for him it is if he's a 24 7 fetishist which we know that some people are for some others it's their part-time fantasy life or their part-time i'm now dawning my gear and adopting this other personality or adopting this mm. other character and when i'm in this character role then my 
my pronoun, I say in air quotes, becomes sir, master, sub, boy, dom, whatever that might be that suits them. So I don't think we could completely discount it, but give me your, give me your, give me your thoughts on it. <laughs> um, simply put, no, sir is not a pronoun because it's a salutation it yeah. is you know this is as you say an identifier sir puppy master whatever you want to use is a salutation it's part of their name the same as mr mix ms whatever um or doctor it's not the same as turning around and saying he did this she did that um and i think that's the importance here it's not this Whilst being a sir is part of part and parcel of your identity, as is gender, they're different things. You know, you asked about they them being my pronouns. They are, but actually, I'm comfortable with all pronouns. I don't care which pronoun you use for me because that represents my gender fluidity. The problem with it is, is that because I present as male, I get he, him all the time. And that doesn't truly represent who I am. So by having they, them, that yeah. corrects that for me. So in this case, they, them would be more all-encompassing rather than a singular he, him, she, or her. Yeah. Or these are, if you want to go neo-pronoun. <laughs> Don't confuse me. Don't confuse me. <laughs> baby steps. Baby steps. So there's a website like, uh, called Pronoun Island, um, which has all the um, neo pronouns on it, as well as the existing. Wait, can you say that again? What are they called? Neo pronouns. Neo pronouns. Yeah. Like as in and neonatal. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So... Listeners, I would suggest you educate yourselves as well and look this up. Neo pronouns, N-E-O, neo pronouns. Um, okay, so I have another question for you. All these questions. I have lots of questions. I always have questions. <laughs> More questions, questions, please. Questions help me to understand. <laughs> exactly. So, as a queer kingster, did you... Well, maybe there's two parts to this question. When you first came on the fetish scene, and you put on your first outfit, your first bit of gear to go out. Did you feel the pressure to conform to what was already in place? Or did you feel like you were ready to integrate your queer you into what you wore when you were out? No, I had to conform. Um, and that's a, that's a big part of my identity, um, in a sense, because I've, look, there's no being around the bush. I'm different. I've, I come from Northern Ireland. I come from a mixed marriage. I am queer. I'm, you know, this big bloody brute of a person. So I'm always going to start out in the crowd. And but I, I think that's a good thing. <laughs> Listen. Yeah. Yeah. Depends it, it, it's it's, it's got to be a good thing. For some it is, but for others, they just want to blend into the background. And at the time, I wanted to blend in and not be, you know, I didn't have that confidence to go and get my tits out on the dance floor and, you know, all of that. I was like, I just want to wear my 
my nice little rubber that I've just bought, and I'm really happy with because it's my first ever rubber. <laughs> 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 and I just want to go stand at the corner of the bar and just be like, oh, look at me and my rubber. This is amazing. And so I did conform a hell of a lot. And I think that gave me an ex- um you know, that first experience gave me that ability to be like, and relax. Um, and then I started playing around with it because I could, you know, I could go to um, Antwerp with, uh, stay with my friend, it's like the best wardrobe ever. And um, just to go, have that, we'll try that. And watch as he was like, you are not putting those two things together. I'm like, yes, I am. <laughs> And it, I think that's the thing. Like it's, it's kind of like your your fetish gear collection, which grows over time. Your confidence grows over time, and how you wear that grows over time. Was was there? Because I know, like at some point, you like stepped away from your recon profile almost completely. And was this because you were maybe having a clash of crisis between your fetish you and your queer you? I mean, I know it's probably a personal question. You can like. Yes. Um, there was, I mean, there were certain personal reasons why I did that. Um, but one of the big things was that um, we all know that gender is a construct and that, um, you know, what it says on my shirt today. But wait, let me read it. Let me see it. Let me see it. Gender is a construct. Okay. Um, but I got them to the point where I was seeing certain things within the fetish life as being dress up sets. And I kind of, I know, God forgive me, that dumbs it down a hell of a lot. But it's, it's, and I know it's not like that, but it's just where my mind was at at the time. Because I, what I was in reality doing was rejecting some of the masculinities that I felt I had to conform to. And then it was like, actually, maybe I can, you know, I'm, and I'm, I am, COVID permitting, wanted to go back and explore what it would be like to wear my rubber and have my nails done or wear um, high heels or something like that. Because I do, like, I still remember the first time I saw a guy wearing leather and high heels. I was just like, oh my God, I just want to walk. I just want to look all day. This is amazing. <laughs> I think I've been rather privileged in my job to have been able to travel to so many different places and Mm. to see how this queer evolution has taken place. And I can tell you it has been happening for a very long time. And I can't even necessarily say that it's been happening under the radar. It does, however, happen much more in some spaces than in others. You know, if I think about an event like Folsom, San Francisco. Oh, yeah. It's so fully representative. It's incredible. If I think about going to one of the leather contests at one of these events in the US, I remember a year Sandy and I were there and there was a contestant on stage thinking, you know, that they're thinking, they're, they're old guard thinking, you know, this is a contest for a leather man. And there was a, person who comes on stage and they're in leather but they're in heels Mm. and I think it's the first time that they had a contestant come on the stage in heels 
What they then decided to do was to pull something out of the back and it was this very long black lace train, almost like a bridal train. And I mean, Sandy and I were like two queens. We were like, yeah, <laughs> you know, screaming and gagging. And it was beautiful to see that kind of expressive representation <clears throat> and to see that kind of merging of the fetish meets queer. And yeah, you see that with um, Delilah Brian Brian um in uh antwerp we it's one of it's one of my regulars antwerp but um you see you go to most antwerpians uh fetishist houses and they'll have their their little bit of drag their little bit um leather their little bit of rubber and it's just like they've got all these sort of mixing identities which is amazing i think it's really good but we know that there are so many people who still struggle with this evolution of it and i think it's because of the all guard thinking when we still come back to very strict dress codes mm. i think i don't think i could still myself envision someone in a bluff you know in bluff gear and his full langlets and high heels i i would i would probably take a have a double take and mm. at the end of it i would still be like kudos to you for having the absolute confidence <laughs> to come out and wear that and to wear that with pride because i think this is what we think that the if we go back to still that other definition of what queer is it is that freedom to have the ability to express this other part of you this identity within oh. yourself so talking about freedom of expression why such a strict dress code we always say <laughs> now i'm going i'm going to clarify i'm going to clarify because there may also be a very there may be a misconception of this mm. we always say strict dress code and that strict dress code is be very clear in whatever it is you're wearing that's it it doesn't say that you cannot the only thing that we basically say is naked is not a fetish and it therefore that allows uh, yeah you know, these, it then allows people to chop and change and diversify the gear, whatever they want to, whatever it is that you're wearing, just own it. That's all. We say, strictness, yeah, be strict still, with your gear, whatever it is you're wearing, own it. I still remember the, the revelation that I had of, I can wear more than one outfit to this party. You I can. can change halfway through. Oh my God. <laughs> I know. I, I was, I'm known was for making. Naive. I'm known for making the haters would hate me. I'm known for making costume changes throughout a party. I will change outfits several times, especially if it's a sports party. I'm known for having three or four outfits during a party. You know, the lycra is easy to slip on and off, and they'll change into different bits. And I like this. That is that is just another part of my. You know, it. After having this conversation with you, it made me think to myself quite a lot of just how queer I might be myself or what parts of my identity are more queer than others. And I don't think people think about it that often. If we think about the parts of us that we want to express a little bit more than others, and maybe for some reason we're holding it back, it's that other unusual bit that you want to kick the door or get out of the box and get out. Yeah. It's that queer bit. We need to get those queer bits Take out. Take done and get under the streets. Yeah. As um, Harvey Milk said. But the other thing with that is like, we live in a culture today, which is so heavily dependent upon labels. 
Yeah. Um, you know, if I was to be entirely precise about how I identify, I would identify as genderqueer and uh, non-binary and be um, in terms of my gender and as demisexual, queer or androsexual in terms of my sexuality. What I, is androsexual? Educate oh, I've just I'm attracted to somebody who has a masculine appearance. Now, that does not necessarily mean that they were assigned male at birth. And you um, confuse the listeners even more. I, love <laughs> I myself am a demisexual through and through. What does demisexual mean to you? I think if I'm going to, I'm much more attracted to the emotional and the psychological connection. I need that emotional bond if mm. I'm going to have a really good, let's say, sexual experience with someone. Even if it's a one-off, I need a something that's going to make me click with you on, a, on an emotional level. Now, that emotional scale is quite sliding, How, but I'm going to need... <laughs> It's, it's quite exciting. It's 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 quite slight, but I need but I need that emotional connection. And if I have that strong emotional connection with someone, I mean fireworks. <sighs> yeah. Fireworks like New Year's Day in Sydney. <laughs> the thing I just wanted to pick up on there was I asked you what that meant to you. What does that word mean to you? And I think that's a really important thing when you're talking about these, all of these different defining words. What does it mean to that individual person who said they identify as that? Because I know that um, if I was to ask 20 of my friends what queer meant to them, I get 20 different responses, probably 25 actually, because, you know. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> but you can't, you know, labels are, uh, another friend of mine will always say, labels are for jars. That's where they should be kept. But they're also, they are still really helpful in allowing somebody to say, this is where I fit. This is how, where I belong. And I think you get exactly the same in the fetish world of, you know, maybe a puppy coming along and going, oh, this is where I fit. Or a, um, uh, a sir, a young sir <laughs> coming and going, this is where I fit. I find my people. Yeah. I think labels can be very important, but labels, if we're not careful, can also be very exclusive. Um, we have to we're be really to careful. Right? Yes, exactly. And I think this is also where we get the, there's a lot of battling that comes. Even within our lovely King community, we have our fetish gatekeepers. There are plenty. God knows there are plenty. Who granted them this status, I'm not quite sure. But there are lots of gatekeepers. Um, why they think they should be, I don't know. You know, we... I thought it was a self-appointed role. Well, yes, but I'm. you can say that. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to be a little oh, more diplomatic. I wanted to be a little more <laughs> diplomatic about it. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, I think the two things should coexist, and I think they should coexist beautifully and harmoniously. Whatever um, one or the other means for people, I think they already do. I think they already have. So, if you go back to sort of like the roots of um, leather, you know, being those bike, biker groups and uh, that 
slightly being outside but wanting to identify together that was a queer type of thing to do let's all get together on a sunday and get my bike and you know to me was queer culture right there um, absolutely so it's been hand in hand or the glove in glove if you want yeah is there anything before we end is there anything final that you want to share with us or any words of wisdom you feel like i'm going to educate the peeps about this i mean it's one of the things we always say you know we like giving people a platform and the opportunity for that platform is to not just share but to also educate when the ability presents itself um, so this is your speak yeah your piece. So, speak your piece <laughs> i think for me it would be pronouns just to come back to that to say if you get it wrong no big deal. Don't make a song and dance about it. Just say, sorry, I'll re try and re-educate myself and move on. We're not about, you know, it's not about calling somebody out and saying, you got this wrong. You have to, you know, mea culpa, mea culpa, although they might enjoy that. Um, the, the point is, is to say, I'm sorry, I forgot, or I'm sorry, I'll get it right. Move on. And are we going to look forward to your newest evolution of your <laughs> fetish you meeting your queer you i'm really excited to see how this how it manifests the next time you're out i will be looking i will be looking yeah i'll be looking too <laughs> 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 um do you know what i have i went through some of my my fetish stuff the other day and um, my rubbers lasted quite well so it's been a been very good storage for the past five years um which is Ugh. good i know it's creaking um the old girl i'll say on my final bits um you know i want people to come away with an understanding of the need to be first of all less judgmental and definitely more open and understanding of let's say the other letters represented in the LGBTQI plus community. We always talk about having this community that's inclusive, but we don't always practice what we preach. And that's really bad. Um, and people, I'm going to challenge you to begin to think about how you move away from that going forward. You know, you always hear the old cliche, you know, be the change you want to see. If we don't begin to actually practice this thing, then spouting it out isn't going to do anyone any good the scene will never evolve it'll never change and will never become inclusive so i urge you to not marginalize people but especially when we're thinking about people coming to fetish events often people say you know they're standing off on the side because they feel like they don't belong so we should welcome them into the fold you know there should never be a need for a question of whether or not spaces are queer safe spaces uh all spaces should be open and accepting um especially fetish and king spaces if we want to celebrate that kind of diversity that we keep talking about then we should allow the diversity in and when it comes in we should allow those people who have brought it into our lives and brightened our day to celebrate it without fear of judgment you know it doesn't hurt you to say you know oh my god that's amazing and to actually be genuinely sincere about it um you know this actually presents that kind of comfort in people where they can actually you know marry their fetish and their queer identities together 
And I think this whole conversation has given me so much more to think about what we do here at Recon and also at our, at our own events. And it also makes me think about how we can change things going forward. You know, over the years when we could still do events previously, it's always been great to see people taking the opportunity to ex express themselves and to express their queerness. But it has come in little drips and drabs and little small pockets here or there. And I think that there are potentially even more people who want to do it and they may be afraid to do it. So I'm going to tell you here on this podcast today, please do it make my day, make your day, make somebody else's day, make the day of somebody else who's queer and also thinking about wanting to do it. And maybe they're not seeing it enough. You don't know what a difference you could make to that person's life. It does take someone, you know, the opportunity to step out of the box and go, bam, you know, I'm not just having a, like Carmen, you be Carmen Miranda. Wear your tutti fruity hat with all the fruits and all the fucking colors you can imagine. Just in do it. Yeah, in leather, rubber, lycra, whatever you're doing. I'd also love to see someone in bluff in langlets and heels. I, I'd, I'd also like to see that. A drinks on me. If you appear in langlets and heels, <laughs> drinks are on me. I would love to see it. You know, you know, we all have this this thing in common. So you know, let's try to adopt an even more inclusive attitude and allow each other. To express it however they want. You know, if your queer meets your fetish, please don't hide it. Own it. I invite you to share it with us every opportunity that you get. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. And please give a hand to our lovely guest, Neil. Thank you, Neil. It's been amazing. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Lovely. Thank <laughs> you.